Hi, I'm Jamie Moyer, and you are listening to Improv Nerd. Jimmy, Jimmy Crane, Jimmy Crane's a nerd. Jimmy Crane's an improv nerd. Jimmy Crane's a nerd. Oh, hey everybody, this is Jimmy Corain, and you're listening to another great episode of Improv Nerd. And our guest today is Jamie Moyer. She is one of the country's most respected teachers and improvisers. She's also an actor. You've seen her on television shows like Parks and Recreation and Modern Family. She was originally a member of the Second City Detroit before moving to Los Angeles years ago. We talked to her at this live version of Improv Nerd at the Chicago Improv Festival. It was the, it's the 20th year of the Chicago Improv Festival. And she talked to us about how when she first auditioned for Second City, she was doing it really for a parking pass, how to avoid being pigeonholed in scenes, and how she decides to take on projects because she takes on so many different projects. She's coaching like four different teams. She's doing three, three or four shows a week and how she makes a decision on which projects to take. Before we get to that, I just want to say uh, I'm really proud of myself because last night we did the show. I'm recording the intro and outro, which you're hearing now, right now. And this is one of the busiest times I've ever been uh, with in my career and also with the Chicago Improv Festival. So I did this Improv Nerd. We have another Improv Nerd at uh, Second City with Rachel Dratch. And then I do two improv shows. And then I do Harmontown, Dan Harmon's podcast, which I've been on before. But I'm really scared about that because the last time I was on, I had no expectations. I was only supposed to be on for like 15 minutes to plug Improv Nerd because it's part of the feral audio family. And I ended up being on for 45 minutes. And it was hilarious. It was, and, and I did really well. And now I'm like, oh, my God, how am I going to be able to top that? So I'm putting a lot of pressure on myself. I'm comparing myself. And, of course, this is just another way that I sabotage my joy in my success. If anyone can find a buzzkill, it's me. So uh, I, I don't know what you need to do. Think good thoughts. Pray for me over uh, you know, the next week or so. Um, because uh, I'm just, I'm, I'm crazy, as you know. So enough about me. You're going to, oh, Jamie Moyer is so positive, and she's, she's has such practical advice, and we, we, we improvise a scene because it's a live version, but we also do a little um, other uh, kind of uh, show-and-tell kind of stuff that I think you're really going to enjoy, especially this stuff about pigeonholing uh, when you're doing scenes. So here it is, the legendary Jamie Moyer episode. Enjoy. Jimmy's a nerd, he's a nerd, oh yeah. Jamie's a nerd, he's a nerd. Jamie, thank you so much. For being for having a, me. Oh, my God. This is what I love about you. You were so excited to do the podcast. That's true. Okay. <laughs> is this what the whole interview is going to be? I'm going to have to wait a couple <laughs> seconds before you respond? No, I was honored to be asked to do the podcast. And I told you I have seen you do this live at the Detroit Improv Festival with Keegan-Michael Key probably three years ago. Mm -hmm. And I loved it. And when I got the email, I was just beside myself. So let's start with you. So you grew up in Detroit, and your mother was a theater director. Yes. And your dad was an actor. Correct. Who eventually moved to L.A. Yes. And you said the first time you were exposed to improv was Commedia dell'arte yes. at the Attic Theater, which That's was right. your parents, your mom's theater. That's right. 
Uh, can you tell us a little about that experience? Well, uh, when I was growing up, my parents were kind of bohemian. They were, we were poor, but I had a lot of love and theater people around, and it was, you know, a uh, so lot of lot of pot going. I'm sure. Oh okay. yeah, for sure, okay. for sure. I recognize that smell in later years, and I'm like, hmm, I think I know that smell from my youth. Right. Uh, but I, so uh, my mom had play, and actually, I would watch the actors warm up and play and do theater games and I would sit in the audience and wish that I could join them and uh, sometimes I got to play tape ball so they would play tape ball where you bandy about a little paper ball and you count how many times you can keep it in the air and, um, and, and now what is that for what does that teach just you to warm up and uh, it's about being in the moment working together just getting focused and never letting the ball drop you know sometimes you go oh I'm sorry and then someone hits it and it's fine and the apology is unnecessary and uh, they'd let me come and play like at the end of, of a round of that, which to me at like five, six, seven years old felt like a real rock star moment to get to come in on Paperball. You brought something up, and I see this in class all the time. People do stuff, because you teach, people w will apologize for what they do. Is an apology ever necessary? No, I don't, I mean, an apology is necessary in extreme circumstances. If in the scene I backhand you willy-nilly, maybe afterwards I go, Hey, that was crazy how I backhanded you. What do you mean by backhanding? You know, if I crack you across oh, the head. Oh, something physical. Physical or something yeah. like that. But if it's like, sorry, I didn't understand that you wanted to be firefighters is unnecessary. Let's just keep it moving. And even when we played tape ball, someone taught me this mantra, together we fly. So whenever the ball hits the ground, we all just go, together we fly. And it's such a silly moment that people stop apologizing. Now, you said something interesting, that the number one thing for you to do is to make people laugh. I love making people laugh. Do you laugh. remember the first time you made someone laugh and you're like, I, I got that superpower? I don't remember the first time. Uh, I, I know as a child, I, I really thought I was an adult. And, um, and I really liked making people laugh at the theater. And I thought that the actors were my friends. And um, there's a story of uh, when I was about six, I was a student at the Waldorf School, and my mom was Titania in Midsummer Night's Dream, and I was obsessed with the actor playing Puck. His name was David, is David Parker, David Wayne Parker. And I learned his speech. So at the Waldorf School, you go from kindergarten or nursery school, you're called like a redbird, bluebird, all the way through high school, and you graduate. That's your and Waldorf is kind of progressive. It's 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 it's, it's more liberal even super than super arty, right? It's super arty, right? And uh, so I heard the high school was doing Shakespeare, and so at uh, after lunch, I told my teacher I had to go to the restroom. I went upstairs to the high school class, told their teacher they had a message in the office, which was in the basement, and then when the teacher left, I got up on the stage and I started doing Puck's speech because I was real ballsy and uh, apparently didn't respect authority very much. So then the teacher comes back and, and I'm on the, on the desk doing this and I got in a lot of trouble. And so they call my mom and they tell her to come down to the school and she says, uh, they say, Jamie has no respect for authority and she kind of just does whatever she wants. And my mom, you know, deep down later, of course, told me she thought that was kind of funny and hilariously cool that I did that, but also I was in trouble. So they came up with a, uh, a an appropriate punishment for me was to um, wash the kitchen floor, scrub the kitchen floor. That was the punishment that was agreed upon with the teacher and my mom. 
And I don't remember this part, but my mom says that the whole time I was scrubbing the floor, I was saying, I'm not your Cinderella. I'm not your Cinderella. <laughs> and that is a reference. And that's what you call references. And my reference level at that point was apparently Shakespeare and Cinderella. So. Where did you get the balls to do that? I've always w wish I had more balls or even have a ball. How have you been able to... Jimmy, I guarantee you have two balls. Okay, thank you. Um, where did you learn that? I, it, I think it just came from probably my genetic makeup between my mom and dad, and they're just kind of free spirits. And I think that from the time I was born, I wanted, or from the, as long as I can remember, I wanted to make people laugh and I wanted to have fun. And I, like, having fun has been a real through line for my life, which doesn't always, you know, mesh up with responsibility and adult stuff, but... Uh, How has it interfered? Well, I kind of fly by the seat of my pants. If something comes up, I go for it. Some might say uh, impulsive. I think I'm a little impulsive, which works well with improvisation. Uh, so, uh, you know, if it came down to putting money into a savings account or taking a trip to New Orleans, I'm going to probably take the trip. So then you go off to high school and college, you're doing theater and stuff like that, and uh, you see your first show at Second City Detroit. Yes. Can you tell us about that? I was in college and I was studying theater and I knew of Second City, I knew we had one in Detroit, and I got complimentary tickets from Brandon Johnson, who was staying at a corporate housing place in Detroit, and I was the front desk manager. I also was a coat check girl at a nearby club, and I worked in a box office at a nearby theater. So I've always had a lot of jobs. I kind of like to... And small spaces. <laughs> and very small. Well, yes. Detroit is a very small town. Right. So uh, th those are pretty much the only three buildings in our downtown in Detroit. So. <laughs> Uh, so Brandon uh, gave me comp tickets, and I went with a friend of mine, and in that show uh, was Brandon, Margaret Edwardowski, I think Naima Funk was in that show. Um, it was like the tail end of a lot of people leaving Second City Detroit, but I fell in love with the show. And I said, you know, and Brandon came back, thank you so much, and he said, you should take classes at Second City. And I, I hadn't really thought about it. I was immersed in traditional theater, and I had resigned myself to kind of playing uh, the nurse or whoever pops in, the, the hairdresser, the ex-wife. I just kind of wanted to be that secondary person. And I, I hadn't really thought about improvisation. I just figured I would have a career in theater. So he suggested I take classes there. And I went to see a couple more shows there. I kind of knew Margaret because my mom was her theater professor. At this point, my mom had graduated from owning a theater and had moved into teaching at a graduate and undergraduate program at a college in Michigan. And I knew Keegan because Keegan-Michael Keegan Michael Key. Yes, I knew him. He and I went to the same college and were neighbors in, uh, in a small little enclave in Michigan called Hamtramck, which is a city. Oh, wow, a shout out for Hamtramck. <laughs> oh, well, and many, you know. Right. But uh, Hamtramck is a city that's a mile by a mile and a half smack dab in the middle of Detroit. It's just this weird little thing. and. It has more bars, it was once told to me, more bars per like square foot than any other city in America because the city is very small, but there were dozens of bars there. There were little bars, bars in houses, you know, it was almost like bar, bar, 
liquor store, bar. Nail salon, bar. bar. Yes, that's right. Oh, you've been there. Yeah. No, I haven't. <laughs> so Keegan and I were neighbors, and we all went to the same bar, the Seven Brothers, and that was like the uh, so named the Sardis of Detroit, and all of us had our headshots on the wall. And so I mingled a bit with Second City people, graduated from college, and I did just exactly what Brandon had suggested, and I enrolled at Second City Detroit. For a parking pass. That's correct, yeah. Can you explain that? Yes. Uh, well, I enrolled to take the classes. I was at Seven Brothers Bar on a Sunday night with one of my classmates, Sean McGettigan, and he said to me, are you going to the audition tomorrow? And I said, no, I don't know And this was the audition is. for touring company? It was audition for Tour Co. Understudy. Okay. And I had heard nothing of it, and I, I said, what is it? He goes, it's an audition for Tour Co. Understudy. If you get it, you get a parking pass and some money off of your classes. And I said, oh, I will be crashing that audition. Again, I, the ballsiness. Yes, yeah, I think yeah. so. I just crashed it. Mm -hmm. I showed up, and I had my headshot, and they got me in, lickety-split. And I was so out of the loop at this moment with the system that I didn't realize that they were actually potentially looking for someone who might go into the tour co because they were moving a tour co member up to the main stage. And that's exactly what happened and I got into the tour co. And I was really relaxed at that audition because the stakes were very low for me at parking pass. I didn't know that there was a chance, <laughs> I didn't know there was a chance I might be hired. So if, if I could give any advice to your listeners out there, it's go in with, with low expectations and low need for reward at auditions and you'll probably have a better audition because you won't be so nervous. And then you get in the touring company. Right. And at this point, were you an actor who was afraid to improvise a little? Yes, I was. I was a little bit. I, I was one of these people who said, um, I'd be afraid to have my lines on the script, you know. Which goes over really well with improvising. That's right. Yeah. No one liked that. No, no. In fact, I think I only said it to myself. Okay. <laughs> driving down to class. Right. Um, but uh, I, I was a little bit afraid of it. I had been spoiled at that point. I'd done a lot of theater in the area. I was a little spoiled by getting the part and making choices. You know, I played uh, Eunice Hubble, sassy upstairs neighbor in uh, Streetcar Named Desire. Awesome. And like, I liked getting a script and making a part like that my own. Um, so at first it was a little jarring, but I fell in love with improvisation pretty fast. You said like seven or eight months, Yeah, I right? feel like seven or eight months. Do you remember there. the time when, when it, it, you fell in love with it? I think it was gradual. I think it became less and less driving home and going, why didn't I just say I was the dentist? What's wrong with me? <laughs> and then I would drive home and i go, oh, that was pretty fun when that thing happened. And then, and this is the best way to drive home, that was fun, not thinking about it anymore, off to the next thing, you know? And so you're not really fixating on what went right or what went wrong. It's just a good time and, and you move on from it. So you started and you didn't have much confidence in improvi improvising. Mm -hmm. What changed to help you build reps, your confidence? Reps, more times doing it. And because I was in the touring company, we had a weekly show. And we would do the archive material, and I would love it, and it, that was scripts. And then we'd take a break, and then we'd do the improv set. And I would come out, and I would do a scene, and, and it would maybe it would go well or maybe it wouldn't, or maybe I was confused, but I looked confident, and I remember many times going on the back line and going, oh, good, that went okay, and they don't know that I don't belong here. Maybe the lights will end soon, and I can take my fraudulent ass out of here. So at first, I felt a little behind the eight ball, 
what I, and I mention this often to my students, that feeling of, oh, I did it and it went okay. I must have made some kind of a fluke that made that go okay, that that's wasted time and wasted energy. You are good enough. You are doing it right. There is no secret. You know, there's no secret that someone whispered in my ear that made me better. The way you get better is by reps and giving a little less of a fuck about what happens out there and having a little more fun with it and not freaking out about the uh, mechanics of the scene. So gradually by doing the sets and improvising during rehearsals with Turco, I started to feel better and better and better. And then I think probably, like you said, or like I told you, seven or eight months and I started going, oh, I see. Sometimes this works, sometimes it doesn't. Either way, that's how everyone up here feels and I'm not an outlier to this situation. When you were in Detroit, you did a couple original shows, and you said that Tim Robinson, who now writes for Saturday Night Live, and he co-stars in Detroiters on Comedy Central. And writes it. And writes it, too, is your favorite person to improvise with. He is. He's my favorite person to improvise with. He has an everyman quality. Uh, He's so funny, and he has an everyman quality that just makes him so endearing when he's on stage. And... Some of my favorite scenes that I've ever written or performed are with him. He has a thing about him where, you know, a lot of times when it comes to references, people want to be so smart. You know, they want to, I know, I know everything and I'm going to go for it. And, and he has a thing that's so great where you could be trying to mess with him in a scene or talk to him and you'll go like, well, you know, it's a lot like, uh, you know, Anna Karenina. And he'll go, never read it. Or or maybe a little like the movie Casablanca. Didn't see it. And the audience goes, that's me. (laughs) I love this guy. He has just such a great ability of being who he is or or making a character come to life and not worry about, you know, hitting the reference so hard over the head. The other thing is that I didn't know is that you love teaching improv. You coach like four four groups a week. Um... How do you do it? And, and you do four shows a week. And, and you're not Sometimes, in your 20s. You're not in your 20s. No, I'm in my teens. Right. How do you do it? How do you still have that, that, that excitement to do it? I, I think that there's a little bit of a immediate payoff to teaching improv and watching people discover how fun it can be. And watching people come out of their shells and I enjoy ensemble and this may sound a little hokey but I very much enjoy watching people be kind to each other and support each other and what I don't like to see is when they are frustrated or feel bad and so I think when you're teaching and coaching and helping people come out of their shells it's gratifying to me to see them discover that thing that I had to find out for myself and trying to navigate a way for them to understand that they are good enough. And in Los Angeles, where I currently live, it's a city of constant rejection and uncertainty. And if someone has a show and they say, do you want to come do this show? I'll always go do the show because I know it will be fun. And I just really, I feel like I keep saying the word fun a lot. It's fun, 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 fun. It's enjoyable. Is that another word for fun? Yes. yes. It's very um, cathartic to be able to make people laugh and to enjoy other people in an ensemble setting when you're in a city that's so cutthroat and so singular. And 
Singular meaning like you got to get TV, you got to get film. And singular because I have to do right, that get for out of my myself, way. Yes. by myself, largely. Uh, it, it, and it, if I go do a show, if I drive down there and I go into the building and I take the time and I'm able to create something with somebody and we have a few laughs, then maybe that audition I had that afternoon that I feel was rough kind of floats away. So I the day is not spent going, oh, no, you went in there and you shit the bed and you go home and you think, oh, God, what am I doing with my life? In this regard, you might go in and have what's not a great audition, but you certainly can head down to Second City or the PAC or I.O. and have a good show. And at the end of that day, you feel like you did do something creative in your field, making people have fun, especially in this very gross political climate and people are feeling down. And, you know, I did a show on election night that I was not excited to do. I thought, are they even going to do this show? I went into Second City. People were crying. I mean, it was like rough, you know. And I'm like, what's going to happen? And, and I saw people, and you know what? I was like, who's going to even come to this show? It was packed. That show was packed with people who wanted a moment of reprieve Am I using that word right, Jimmy? I don't know. We'll have to check with okay. our staff. We'll check in at yeah, yeah. They wanted a moment. They needed a, have you had your break today, Kit Kat bar. And so uh, we had a great show that night. And I left feeling a little bit better than before. we got to take a quick break here, and then we'll be right back after this. How there, There's two things I want to ask you. One is, and I see this with improvisers, struggle with it. You do so much. How do you say, I'm going to do this project, I'm going to teach, I'm going to work with this group? How do you, at this t time in your career where you've, you, you have a lot of experience, time is probably more precious, how do you make a decision to, to do a show or to work with a group? Well, that's a difficult question because I don't always think it's the best decision to overload myself in this way. Um, I, I think what happens is I'm kind of got yes and burned on my brain. So if somebody says, would you like to do this? I just say yes, because so many more doors have opened for me in my life by doing the things that scare me. And in the beginning, the instinct would be to say no first. So I don't really, I put myself a little bit lower than those calls. So if the call comes in and says, can you do a workshop with me on Thursday at 10 a.m., I say, yeah, I'll do that. And if, even if I was up very late that night before and I know that that's going to mess up my sleep and then I'll get up at 10, do a workshop, then I have to drive to Beverly Hills, do a voiceover audition, then I have to teach and coach, I'll still do it on that day because maybe that next week on that day, I won't have to do anything till a 9 o'clock show. So I, I figure you sacrifice on this day and you are reaping the rewards of Netflix on this day. And they all, it all kind of balances out. And me no have no kids and me no have no husband. So I kind of just do whatever I want, which is again, very fun, but not necessarily grown adults-ing. When you say that, is there a sadness to this? Um, no. I don't, I don't feel sad about it, okay. but sometimes I feel a little overwhelmed. Okay. And then the other thing is, 
you know, so much about improv is you, we can't be doing improv all the time or we will have nothing to, we won't be living a life and have nothing to draw from that. How do you balance that? How do you get a life in? That's a great question, too. And I, I, I've heard this come up before on different podcasts and things. Right. How can you increase your reference level if your only reference is improv shows? Right? Is that kind of where you're yep. Yeah. Um, I think that they don't necessarily have to exist together. So if I'm driving to a myriad of appointments and I'm listening to NPR, I'm learning something new for the day that I may or may not use in an improv show. So I'm gathering information from this. It has nothing to do with improv. But let's say I hear this great story about beekeepers and I'm listening to the story. I'm not going, shuffle this away in your improv brain, and yet I am shuffling it away in my improv brain. So maybe later in the show, and if you're doing four shows a week and you're feeling a little light on whatever, in the show you invite someone into your kitchen and you say, this is directly from the honeycombs of Guadalajara, the number one honey place. And after the show, someone goes, how the hell does Jamie Moyer know so much about honeybees? So you're, it's not mutually, you're learning things. I love to read, I'm a voracious reader. I, I go out a lot with my friends. I like movies. Um, I love to travel. And I do kind of stock those things away to use or not to use at will. So I was just teaching in England last month. And I did an improv show there with all people I had just met. And it's so funny after the show, the show was, was great and after the show people said, you guys all just, you know, I'm not people, but like a couple of people, students I had been teaching. I can't believe you guys don't know each other, but we all speak the same language. So in that show, they were messing with us. You know, where, where are you from? And I said, I'm from Islington, because that's where I was staying, and I knew that town. And they said, well, but you didn't grow up there. Where did you grow up? And I said, Poodleton, because I only could think of Islington, and then I just made up Poodleton. So you just kind of draw from what you're living, Use your creative mind. Don't become so obsessed with improv that you're not living a life. But I'm truly living my dreams if I wanted to, at the smallest age of a child, wanted to be an actress, wanted to be on television. I believe at this point, I have lived, all of my dreams have come true in one way or another. Maybe not the way I wished. Have I been in love? Yes. Am I in love right now? No. Uh, did I ever want to be on television? Yes. Have I been on television? Yes. Was it maybe four lines? Yes. <laughs> you know, do I have a hit TV show? No. You know, so it's, it's but, but have my dreams come true? Yes. They have already come true, Jimmy, most of them. All right, we're going to improvise now. Ooh, yeah. yay. Um, we're going to take a suggestion, and we're just going to go into a scene. Is that? Love it. Okay, great. Uh, could we get, uh, what do you want to take for a suggestion? How about a suggestion of a object you might find in a school? A chalkboard. chalkboard. Now, you hear chalkboard. How does your mind work with that suggestion? I would probably go right to the place. To the chalkboard? Mm -hmm. Okay. Good job. Write it ten more times and you can go home. Okay. I will not. Now you've already written it 46 times. I know, I know, but I'm thinking something different. Mm. 
Are you learning? Learning from your mistakes, perhaps? Yes, I am. This is how we grow. Miss Ferguson. Here for you. Yes. I was wondering, do you find me attractive? <laughs> I think you are very cute, Timothy. Certainly got a good head of hair on you, and I do enjoy a polo shirt. Thank you. <laughs> My girlfriend, you know, Rebecca. Rebecca? Yes, Rebecca Hansen. Yes. She's just broke up with me. Is that why you acted out today? Yes, it is. Well, Rebecca, a nice girl, certainly. She was my TA two terms ago. I remember. Yes. She's a good girl, but maybe not the one for you. Yes. When things happen, they tend to happen for a reason. That's why you're writing that yes. on the board. Yes. I'm more suited for an older woman. Oh. I hope you're not looking at me for some kind of womanly comfort. I am. I've given up that part of my body no. years ago. No. You're still very, very attractive. Oh, I'm missing teeth. This is not my actual ear. This is a prosthetic ear. I know. Uh, I know that. You knew that about me? Yes, I, and we've I tried so hard to hide it from the students. We call you one ear, Mrs. Ferguson. That's shitty. That's, that's a, that's you bad. swore. You said never to swear. Oh, let me write it on the board. Watch your mouth, Mildred. Mildred, I didn't know your name was Mildred. Mildred, it's a family name. You're very secretive in class. Well, I'm a Virgo. Virgo? Uh, I'm a, a Taurus. Oh. I would imagine we're compatible. I'd have to check the internet for that. This is highly inappropriate. Stop unbuttoning your shirt. What are you doing? I just want to show you my chest hair and that I've, I'm past puberty. I want you. Please. You are a freshman at this university. So what? I'm old enough to know better. I'm old enough to know when I know beauty. Oh, I haven't been called beautiful since my years at the stables. I would like you to have this. It's a flower. A rose, by any other name, would be a tulip, which you, is what this is. And that is what you taught me. And that is what I wrote there. It's beautiful. Oh, you've inscribed in calligraphy on each petal. Yes. Would you go out with me on Saturday? What would the town say? I don't care what the town would say. What would the women say at my house for women that I live in? It doesn't matter. Love, it doesn't matter. I haven't been on a date ever. I know that. I've never been on a date. I know that. I eat alone on the train because I can't bear to have an empty table in my home. I can change that for you. You make tables? Yes, I do. <laughs> I've made one for you. A, a tulip and a table? Yes. Is there a third tea? Tell me there's a third tea. Oh, I love it. Earl yes. Grey? Earl Grey, yes. Oh, you have been paying attention. Yes, I have. This is tawdry. Please, please don't reject me. I can't take it. 
All right, I will dine with you on Saturday. Oh, great, great, great. Don't be against all the rules of the universe. Don't you want to just throw care to the wind? Yes, I want to run my ear across your chest hair. Oh, my God, I've The good ear, the good ear. Oh, good, good, good. I can feel it. Yes, yes, yes. I want to feel it. Yes, yes, yes. I'm all about feeling. This is highly inappropriate, and yet I feel someone like that schoolgirl riding mares willy-nilly down the path. Yes, yes, riding mares. I want to kiss you right now. Now this is crazy. Yes, it is crazy. <laughs> All right, how did you feel about that? I had fun. I had fun too. That was a I didn't know where we were going with that. Who gives a shit? And I wasn't sure at first. I think at the beginning I was like, okay, maybe we'll be two teachers. But then I thought, I don't know. I just I, I thought it'd be funner. I, I don't know. Would I you loved everything you did. I okay. had a really good time. Okay, because I was kind of a little self-conscious. Oh, I don't and know I won- why. I don't know why either. Your I- character was very confident. Thank you. Thank you. It's called, it's called acting. Yes, yes, did a good job. Thank you. Um, what do you do when you get into that place where it's like, okay, I could have played the teacher or I could have gone with the student. And, and my instinct was go with the student because... It'll, it'll establish the relationship quicker. Yeah. I think that if I get in that position, I pretty much just, at this point, and I wish this for anyone who improvises, and I've been doing this a long time, I just make choices, and I don't really worry about them afterwards. I, I just kind of go, this, 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 this. And Honestly, unless I make a, a, just a glaring faux pas, I just go with, go with it, and I think it's pretty good. And, and sometimes if I drive home and I go, that show was, maybe I'll go, oh, that show wasn't my favorite. But I don't really, spend, because if you're in your head making moves, like I think at the top it makes a lot of sense. The first couple lines, you can make different moves. And I personally, I'd love to be surprised, which I think you did a great job right. of surprising me. That whole scene could have gone down the road of what he did wrong, which is kind of where it was in my mind. It started with the talk board. I, I, this, is, this is how my mind works. Usually I put something in a place because I feel more comfortable doing environment and object work and knowing where things are. And I think that object work and environment work is the one thing you can control in the scene. It's a great place to go for bits when you're doing earnest relationship work. I usually do that for my own comfort level. So if you say chalkboard, I picture a classroom, maybe nine times out of ten. could be a kitchen. A lot of people have chalkboards in their kitchen. Whatever. You know, it could be Ikea. It could be a million places like that, but I'm probably going to go to the place. I'm not going to start the scene and say, um, oh, your father's going to be late for dinner tonight because I don't, in my mind, that seems like way too much of a disconnect. Or you won't go chalkboard. Chalkboard makes me think of blah, blah, blah. You'll just go. I go to the place, which is a Detroit thing. A lot of of us in Detroit... Love, we, we really focus a lot on space work and environment work. And that grounds you in the scene. Hell yeah. And if I'm doing a lot of shows during the week, so let's say I do, this This is Thursday. I did a show Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. In those shows, how many times do you think either myself or another made me a mom or a wife? I mean, it happens a lot. I play a lot of businessmen too, but uh, the, envi- <laughs> the environment of where I am is what's going to make those scenes very different because um, otherwise you're just cycling through the same characters, but I never even worry about characters. I don't drive down there and go, oh, I hope tonight I get to play a zookeeper. I just go down there and whatever part someone makes me. So a mother who is cutting up um, a brick of cocaine 
is very different from a mom who is making a kaleidoscope. You know what I mean? What do you do? Because uh, a lot of people are, oh, I don't want to be the mom again. I don't want to be the. I don't want to be the wife again. I never say that. I don't get that. I don't get when people. And that's a, that's the thing of me too, where they go. They keep making me the mom. They keep making me the prostitute. I'm like, you're not initiated. If I initiate a scene and I say, get into my office, Johnson, and you go, Mom, I hate when you call me Johnson, I still have to make him look good, which is my also a big important thing to me. Hey, at home I'm mom. Here I'm Mrs. Johnson. So I can still be his mom if, if that's your comfort zone. But if I start a scene and I say, get into my office, Johnson, chances are I'm trying to not be your mom and go with that. So when people say, I always get made this, I always get made that. I feel like you're being maybe a little too polite and you're not initiating. So you think you can cure that by initiate more? I think you should initiate more. If you feel you're being pigeonholed, or if you feel that, that if someone makes you a prostitute, then turn it back on them. You see what I mean? Like if they make Let's you a give me an example. So I, uh, I'm making you a prostitute. Yeah, you're making a prostitute, and I don't like it, right? Right. Okay. Oh, so here yeah. we are again. Oh, here you are. Oh, great. It's Nellie, the prostitute. Yes, it's David, the small dick businessman. Great. Here we go. Let's get on with it. You know? Right. <laughs> I, I got to turn it back on him a little bit, right? And then maybe if I force you into playing David, the small dick businessman, you might... Think twice before making me a prostitute. Right, because I'll say, I, is I, that wrong? I feel guilty. Is that bad? All right, we're learning a lot here. There's a lot of practical <laughs> tools that our listeners are getting. If you are made a prostitute, make the other person a small dick character. Is that or, right? Or uh, no, I wouldn't say that. That's what I would do. Okay. That's what I would do to to mess with them again. If if you are being made a prostitute, make her the most specific, detailed, impressively narrowed into a certain niche prostitute they've ever seen. If you go, here she is, Nellie, the prostitute, and I go, oh, what do you want today? Yay, I'm a prostitute. Then that character is not fleshed out. She's just a caricature. Okay, so, oh my God, it's Nellie, the prostitute. I'm doing this for my family. <laughs> right? You can make a hundred right, million choices. Right. You can make a hundred Nellie, the prostitutes, and right. they will all be different at every show. Oh my God, it's Nellie, the prostitute. You, again, I know you love my cooking more than my vagina. Oh, my God, it's Nellie the prostitute. Dad? All right, we're going to take some questions. We're going to take some questions from the audience. Uh, great. One right here. Oh, well, good. <laughs> Great. Jerry, do you have a question? Yeah, I do. Um, when I started doing improv, all the emphasis seemed to be on improv, and now a lot of it seems to be on comedy. Mm. Was there a point where that shifted, or has it always been there? i got to repeat the question. So Jerry wants to know about improv. It was, it was always improv, and now it's more comedy. And I think in Chicago, I can speak a little to this. It was improv, 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 and now it seems to be like more sketch, more stand-up, more solo. Uh, comedy stuff. Uh, have you seen that shift? I've seen that shift, and I think in Los Angeles, more so, we talked a little bit about this earlier, um, people want to do sketch, and for those of you who don't know, sketch is where you write scenes and rehearse them, or maybe you rehearse them off of beats. Uh, the the tide is turning towards sketch a little bit more, I think, at times in Los Angeles, because people think they can get more audience to a sketch show than an improv show. Uh, I personally 
don't love sketch or stand up. I, I'm a purist in that way. I, I just want to improvise uh, more than anything else. Um, but I, I do think that that is true. I think there has been a shift, and it could possibly be based on people's end games. And my end game when it come to, came to improvisation was just to create and be creative and do something positive in the career path I've chosen for myself, which is kind of a negative career path or a difficult career path in the arts. And being an actor is not easy. And making it, the percentage is small. So if I were to, like I said, die tomorrow, I would know that I felt that I had a life worth living because of improvisation, more so than a couple of appearances on network television. How is your improv on those shows like Modern Family, Parks and Recreation, how has that helped you when you're on set? You know, it doesn't come up that often, if I can be honest, because they're on a certain schedule, and they don't really care about your bits. <laughs> you know, they're like, read the lines the way we wrote them. And a lot of time when it comes to television, the writers, every, every punctuation, every, you know, question mark, comma, is very important to them. And so they don't really want an actor or a funny actor to come in and start getting kook, you know. And I have always gone into those appearances with the utmost poker face and serious nature. I try really hard. I'm more of a cut up anywhere than that place because you don't want to go in there and start doing bits and they're like, we need to get you out of here, male lady. You know, right? <laughs> deliver the lines as written. So, uh, but most of the time on these shows, they might shoot it the way they want it four or five times and maybe they'll say, let's have fun with this next one. Like on, on my appearance on Parks and Rec, Amy Poehler directed the episode, which was amazing, and we did it the same way a few times, and then she said, let's have fun with it, and we really improvised for a long time after that. I will also say, when auditioning, that's a different story. A lot of times the scene will end, and the camera will not go off, and that is them, I think, wondering, what will you do? What's the next line this character would say? And I think that people in Los Angeles or New York or here in Chicago, anywhere where there's a film or TV industry that don't have improv training, they go, they go, uh -huh, get up. Is that it? Are we done? You know, whereas I'll be like, get out. I said, move, get out my house. And I'll just start, keep going until they say that's it, you know? And then when I leave, I'm like, that was fun. That, you know, that was a good time. And does that help you land a job, do you think? Mm-hmm. I do. But I, you can't do it until the end. You can't go in and go, I have a better way to deliver this line, a better wording for it. You know, they'll go like, great, you are a jerk, get out of here. But I, I hope, Jerry, that answers your question. I do think it's leaning that way, but not necessarily. A lot of the people that are improvising in Los Angeles, certainly some of our mutual friends and people who have done this for years, we are not out there going for comedy. Some of the scenes might get, some of the sets might get really raw and sad, and you know, we're not afraid of that either. Great, another question? Right here, Tom. Yeah, I just want to ask you how going through a little art store as you did helped you as a teacher as you are today. Oh, that's great. Going through an art school, is that what the question? Yeah, I just went to a liberal arts school. You went to a liberal arts school. How has that helped you as a teacher today? Well, I think that my training, first of all, in theater has been really helpful for me when I'm trying to open my students' minds and broaden their horizons a little bit. I was driving here today with uh, Moog is the name of the gal who picked me up. She's great, by the way. And we were talking. She's a fellow improviser. Yeah, fellow improviser. We, we hit it off, really, really hit it off in the car. I, I, I feel like we made a little friendship. 
And uh, <laughs> she will be also taking me back to the airport, so we've already got another friend date. But uh, <laughs> when talking with her, I was saying that, that my students sometimes when you mention things, like I was mentioning Archie Bunker, and they didn't know who Archie Bunker was. Sometimes I mention certain things in literature, they don't know what that is. I think you're doing yourself a disservice if you don't broaden your mind and, and it, you don't have to necessarily go to college and then go to an improv training center, but you should be noticing and paying attention to things so that if it comes up, you know who you know, wrote uh, Little Women and things like that. You should know these things. And so I think it's helped me in that way. And I was also a double major in communications, and I think the communications classes helped me a lot. I graduated. I spent a lot of money to go to that school. I don't know where my diploma is. I've never used it for a job interview. Jamie, is it? It's the most expensive piece of paper in my life. As a teacher of improvisation, yeah. besides the basics, the yes and, the listening, what do you want to instill in your students? Ensemble, take care of each other. Don't, and don't plan. Don't come down there with an idea. Today I'm going to play the cowboy, the guy who cuts the steak funny, and the, and the church mouse. Come in clear and take care of each other. Take will you call me other. on that? If I'm in your class and I come in and you see me play the cowboy, will you call me on that? If I could tell that something is pre-planned, I will generally make a... I do a lot of general statements, usually at the top of class, and I mention don't drive home beating yourself up. I mention you're good enough, and I also mention don't come in here with these ideas because I can smell it on you. I try to nip it before someone does it because I don't like singling people out in front of other people unless what they do is really egregious, um, something really gross or whatever. Besides saying don't get in the car and beat yourself up, how do you not beat yourself up? Because that is something that I do, and I've been doing this for you know thir over 30 years, I still beat myself up, and it is so unproductive. Why do you do that? Because I, 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 I hate my, because I hate myself. No, it's not that. You don't. Yeah. You, you know what it is. I know what it is because I did do it in the beginning. This is a very weird thing that we do. It's not. You can't solve it. It works or it doesn't. There's no. There's no rhyme or reason to it. You can solve a Sudoku. You cannot solve an improv scene. So my advice to anyone who does that, including you, is. Have a little more of a fucking attitude. What? Who cares? Sometimes people drive home, and they blame themselves. And I, this happened to me once in a, in a game of freeze. A guy came out. He did something in freeze that was kind of outlandish. It was funny. It got a big laugh. And then no one else called freeze and came in and tapped him out and kept the scene going. The next week, he came back, and he apologized to me. He said, I really have been thinking about this all week. I, I can't believe I did that. That was so bad. I said, that was not your fault. That was their fault. That they... They messed you up by not having your back to come in at the appropriate time. So this whole week he had been beating himself up when in fact he had done a great move and his, his teammates had messed him up. And, and so you, you might drive away from here and go, oh, maybe I shouldn't have done this or that, when really you did it right and your partner maybe dropped the ball a little. You just can never really know. Great. Another question? Yes, right here.
Well, that is a great, great question. Where would you like, to, great question, you have no regrets, where would you like to end your career? That's a great question for my beautiful goddaughter. Is that your goddaughter? That's my goddaughter. Oh. Did she come? She, she lives here in Chicago. I love you, Kai. Uh, where would I end it? I would end it with a hit television show so that I could finally have some peace in regards to finances and that I could help my family. And that is like a big thing for me. And I see people that I know achieving certain goals, both artistically and financially, and I think that's an end goal. Artistically and financially achieving uh, some success. Because right now, it's kind of a fly-by-the-seat-of-my-pants endeavor, and it's a feast or famine kind of deal. And uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but all these wonderful shows I did this past week, I, in fact, lost money in parking and gas. <laughs> so, <laughs> and a couple, maybe a, a drink or two. So. You know, this is something, and I think it's, 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 it's harder in Los Angeles than it is in Chicago. How do you deal with other people's success? You started out, other people succeed, because that, to me, that's still something I struggle with. I, I would never say to you that I don't struggle with it either, but I, what I try to do is, I try to say if you had, the, if the number was 100% and your friends are blowing up all around you, I would say that I'm 90% elated for them and 10% worried for myself. I don't think it's, it's, it's not anger or bitterness. It's like, wow, they friggin' wrote that show. They did it. You know, like Sam and Tim wrote Detroiters. Yep. They got it made. It's like my favorite show on TV. I watch every episode with joy in my heart. Maybe occasionally I go, oh, God, am I ever going to be able to do something like that? You know, that, that is probably the only manifestation because I have seen some of the bitterest I've, I've seen people in this business through this company, improvisation as a whole, become so bitter and it's not a good look. And that then, then they may be successful or not. Or not. Either way, here's the thing. Some of them aren't and I don't think they ever could be because they're so consumed with the idea that there's one pie and everyone's getting a slice when the truth is there are an infinite amount of pies. Oh, I love this analogy. There's pumpkin, there's apple, there's a rhubarb pie for those who might enjoy that. So you, you, you don't have, it's not like as every slice goes, I go, oh, they sold that show, or they got that, or she's on this show, or she did this. Um, you know, there's a group of us in L.A. that now do a show called Waiting Room, and we're all character actresses. And uh, we all see each other at auditions, and now we improvise together. And when we come out, we go, we all run into each other all the time in waiting rooms. And so we came up with this show. That, to me, is a healthy way to deal with this. Instead of going into and going, hey, how are you? Oh, my God, I can't believe she's here. It's like we're friends. That's got to be very cathartic because yes. I would imagine you have those, when you go into a waiting room for an audition, you are having those thoughts of, I'm in competition. Why are they calling her? Or she's the one who always gets the parts that I never get. And I bet you get to act that out on stage. Yes, we do. And we all get the parts sometimes. That's my point. You know, we all get the part sometimes. It's nice. We've got to wrap this up. This is just. I don't want to. We're I... here all night, baby. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do a, We'll do a, We'll do an improv nerd marathon with you. The I'd next time to. you come in, just go with long. People will leave. They'll come back. It'll I'd be like 14 to. hours. 
We'll, we'll do improv and we'll, we'll take questions. We'll get on the internet. I mean, we'll, we'll, it'll be crazy. We need to have people sing. We sing, can do some musical yeah, yeah, improv. I, um, do you do musical improv? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, all right. One, we, we end the, the podcast the same way every time. One piece of advice you would give to an improviser starting out today. Don't give such a fuck. Does that sound terrible? <laughs> Don't be so hard on yourself. Don't be so hard on yourself. Give a little less of a fuck about it, and it will be more fun, and then that's how you will achieve the greatness of it, because you won't be worried. Jamie Moyer, thank you so much for being our guest on this episode of Improv Nerds. Thank you. Great. And thank you. And there you have it. Another episode of Improv Nerd is in the can. And I want to thank our guest, Jamie Moyer. Uh, I just, I, she is so positive. She's just so positive and fun and just, I had a blast improvising with her. I'd like to thank Jonathan Pitts at the Chicago Improv Festival for including us. Also, Sam Bowers, the director of Improv Nerd, and our producer, Dan Schiffmacher. If you want more information about me, Jimmy Corain, and my award-winning improv intensives, workshops, and classes called The Art of Slow Comedy, and to sign up for the Improv Nerd newsletter, go to my website, jimmycorain.com. Also, follow us on social media. Go to the Improv Nerd Facebook page and like us, because it really helps with my low self-esteem. Follow us on Twitter at improv underscore nerd, and you've got to subscribe to our YouTube channel, Improv Nerd Podcast, all one word. We're lucky, we're grateful, we're fortunate to be part of feralaudio.com. So check out all their innovative and hilarious and original podcasts on feralaudio.com. And of course, I want to thank you for listening and spreading the good word of improv. And until next time, remember, walk, jump, Hello. I'm Dave Ross. Hey, and I'm Hampton Young. And we host Suicide Buddies on Starburns Audio. That's right. It's a podcast about suicide, but not to make light of it. We actually talk about suicidal thoughts, depression, kind of with a sense of levity that Dave and I have with each other. He's my best friend. Come on. Yeah, we're buddies. <laughs> suicide Buddies. <laughs> That's the title. One of our favorite episodes that we've recorded so far is about this guy, Jan Pataki, who was a Polish aristocrat in the 19th century. Mm -hmm. And he, uh, one of the reasons it's possible that he killed himself <laughs> is that he thought he was a werewolf. Oh. Check out a clip. It also makes me think, like, we were talking about in the Norway uh, black metal episode, how, like, just the culture of your surroundings can affect you. Like, yeah. he's in a castle in Poland. He's Like, I mean, if yeah. you lived in a castle in Poland and no one knew anything about anything, you might be like, I'm a bat. I'm probably a bat. <laughs> 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 That's like literally what happened to Batman. <laughs> he literally is in his mansion. He's like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm, I'm a, a bat. bat. I'm a bat. I'm a <laughs> bat. I'm a, I'm I'm a bat. bat that helps people. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bat that helps people. I'm a, I'm a rich... I don't know what you want from me. And uh, my, and my a... girlfriend, she's a cat. She's a cat. My she, girlfriend's she, a cat. She steals things. She's a woman who steals things. She's a cat. I'm a bat. I'm a I bat. Help she's a cat. We fight a penguin. My. Uh, my... <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha